Hey everybody, and welcome to the Atlas Podcast. This is episode 93. My name is Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney of last one to leave the theater.com and ATLCW.tv. And once again, we're missing Emma. Yes, yeah, we are missing her dearly because <laughs> you all probably don't know this thanks to the magic of editing, but last week's podcast was crazy, <laughs> at least on the back end. So yes. we, we, we need Emma back. <laughs> so let's let's hope this week's podcast goes smoothly and that there aren't as many hiccups as there were last week and that we get through get through it nice and easy yes i agree so um let's begin with some some small talk um i mentioned last week that i was going to the ready player one oasis um experience over at atlantic station and um so i went and I was, I was surprised by it. I'll put it that way. Um, basically, what it was was this big old trailer that they kind of customized for Ready Player One, and they they had basically two rooms set up. So in one room, you would watch the trailer. I think it was the second trailer that was released for the film, and so you'd watch the trailer. And, you know, there was a bunch of neon, the neon movie posters that were, like, kind of created, you know, to uh, pop culture references for other movie posters. So there's, like, The Breakfast Club, The Iron Giant. They were all recreated with the Ready Player One characters. And so that those were cool. Those were cool to see. They were basically backlit through neon and stuff. And then, you know, the trailer played and stuff. And then, basically... Once the trailer finished, they whisked you off to the other room, which was basically this, a shop. You know, it was a promotion in sponsorship with Hot Topic. You know, they have a bunch of different um, Ready Player One merchandise that they're going to be selling. They got uh, shirts, socks, hats, uh, bags. They got, um, there are some really cool Funko Pops. That was the coolest thing I saw from there. Um, especially there's this one that's um, uh, basically a clear vinyl pop of Parzival, who's the main character. Um, that was really cool. And, of course, that's all black light, too. And so, like, you could go in there and buy buy Ready Player One merchandise. And, and that was it. That was it. Huh. So, like, I was, I don't know, I think Comic-Con might have ruined me because <laughs> I was, you know, Emma and I, we talked about the whole Blade Runner experience that we went to at comic-con where it was like you know they did this whole 4d vr experience thing and then they whisked us into this whole environment from the film and i wasn't expecting the environment from the film but i was you know they called this the oasis experience and so i was expecting at the least you know like this uh a vr thing like they did, I don't know if you did it uh, a while ago, but they did a VR experience for um, one of the Insidious movies. I don't know. Did you do that? No, it was, I didn't. It was like this 4D. It was like the trailer, but you go in and you sit down, and they put a VR headset on you, and you basically you go into the further, which is like the whole haunted, otherworldly realm in the from the films, and like it was like you know a cool little two minute thing that you did and so like i was kind of expecting something like that 
because I mean it was called the Oasis Experience, and like you know in the movie the Oasis is this whole huge 3D virtual reality world that everybody goes into, and so like that's kind of what I was expecting, and so like it, yeah. Suffice to say, it didn't live up to my expectations. <laughs> but I mean, it was. I mean, if, if if you were there, like if you're at Atlantic Station or if you're at I know they're doing a bunch of other stops. Um, I believe Phoenix is the next stop that they're doing um, for this tour. So, like, if you're already in the vicinity, or if you're interested in, you know, actually buying the the merchandise for the film, then it's worth checking out. But like, it's not something I would actively go out and seek to do. So, so yeah, that was that. Moving right along, um, so the Atlanta Film Festival is coming up, coming up uh, next month, and um, they they have announced basically their entire lineup for the film festival, which is uh, running from April 13th to the 22nd, and um, it's a good lineup this year, oh my god. Yeah, it's one of the strongest lineups they've ever had. Um... They announced that, um, uh, they previously announced that they were going to show Tully, which is uh, uh, the new film from Jason Reitman. Um, they just announced the closing night film is Eighth Grade, which uh, was one of the, the films that was really talked about at uh, South by Southwest. Um, opening night film is a film called Blind Spotting. Um, they have, I mean, it's, it's just a really, really good lineup. And there are, Basically, films for anybody's taste. I think there's uh, 49 films with Georgia ties, so that's really cool. Um, they've got a ton of shorts because that's what the Atlanta Film Festival specializes in. Atlanta Film Festival is only one of, one of five film festivals in the United States that, um, in all three categories, their um, Oscar. If you win Atlanta Film Festival, then you're eligible for. Uh, being voted into the the shorts categories uh, at the Oscars, so it's it's a great lineup and um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm l- looking forward to it. Um, they also have a uh, 35 creative conference events and nine special presentations. Um, I mean, in years past, I've gone to seminars where uh, uh, William H Macy did a an acting seminar that was just incredible. Um, it's just a lot of fun. Um, they're doing a kickoff event on March 30th at 8 p.m. at the Rialto Theater. Um, you'll be able to purchase badges. Um, they're going to have light snacks and drinks, and they're going to have um, individual tickets and also official merchandise. Yeah. So that's that's on that's on the March 30th, 8 o'clock at the Rialto Theater. Uh, the the main the main screen for um, Atlanta Film Festival is the Plaza, <clears throat> the Plaza Theater on Ponce. Um, the uh, executive director of the Atlanta Film Festival, Christopher Escobar, actually owns the plaza. Um, so it basically, during the film festival, it becomes our home theater. Um, and we get to know it very well. <laughs> Matt and I oh, do, yeah. and Emma. Yeah. yeah. Emma's going this year. She, <laughs> she says it's going this year. We, the whole <laughs> Atlas podcast will be representing. Yep. This year. Um, and we hope to have some uh, red carpet interviews and... Um, some other stuff, uh, so yeah. it's just gonna it's it's a it's a blast. Um, I look forward to it every year. It's a really well run film festival, and like we said, this one is the strongest one that I remember. Um, 
it's just got an amazing amount of really cool films. Um, they're they're going to show 58 feature-length films and 150 short films from 56 countries. So, and they also had a record amount of submissions this year, 7,600. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I highly recommend it. Um, and the great thing about a film festival is not only will you find movies that you'll fall in love with, but you also can talk to the filmmakers, especially the smaller films. Um, Atlanta Film Festival does a great job of flying in a lot of filmmakers. They do a, they do a Kickstarter every year. And um, so it's, it's just a lot of fun because I've met some amazing filmmakers. There's some filmmakers I've met that are friends of mine now because I met them at the Atlanta Film Festival. Um, and it's just a it's just a lot of fun, so I highly recommend it. Yeah, and some of the people that'll be coming for the red carpets and like the big names like David David Diggs and Raphael Casal, they're coming for Blind Spotting. Um, Bo Burnham is coming for Eighth Grade. Jason Reitman is coming for um, uh, what Tully. Is, Tully. So like, there are gonna be a lot of big names there this year, and then of course you know all the smaller films. Usually, you know, their Atlanta Film Festival is really good about having like somebody from the film like representing the film there to like introduce the film or like somebody in some capacity who worked on either worked on the film or is in the film. So they're really good about getting getting the filmmakers here for the festival. So and by the way, um, Matt, Emma, and I may be um, with this not set in stone, but we may be <clears throat> introducing a film or two. Very nice. <coughs> So, so yeah. Um, Atlanta, yeah, the Atlanta um, Film Critics Circle has um, has offered our service, the services of the group, uh, to Atlanta Film Festival to uh, uh, introduce some films. So, we're hoping that that'll happen. Yeah. So once again, April thirteenth through the twenty second, with the uh, the kickoff uh, thing at the Rialto on March thirtieth. All right, moving along. Next, we have the box office and. I guess you were right, Mike. <laughs> you predicted that um, Black Panther would be number one again. Yeah, I didn't think it'd do forty million, um, but um, I th- and I thought it was going to be closer. That wrinkle time would be closer um, than it was, uh, but still, Black Panther, four weeks in a row, for almost forty-one million dollars, um, and it is done. This is just a last weekend. I don't know what the what the box office this week has been, but um, it's done 561 million total just in the United States, and it's done over a billion worldwide. Yeah. So we were right on that. It would get a yep. billion this weekend. I mean, that was yep. that was a no brainer. Um, yep. It's actually at five about 575 right now. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's already up there. So. Want to run down the the top ten? Sure. So, like we said, Black Panther came in number one. Uh, A Wrinkle of Time, um, the movie with Oprah Winfrey, and Reese Witherspoon came in number two at a very respectable thirty three million dollars. I'll be very interested to see if it has legs though, um, because critics did not go for this movie. Uh, Matt and I included. Uh, number three was the horror film Strangers Pray at Night, which did ten million dollars. Red Sparrow came in number four, and Game Night was number five. We also had a couple other new movies. Uh, Hurricane Heist, which they did not screen for critics, uh, did only $3 million, and that was in 2,400 theaters. 
And another new film, uh, which I wasn't a big fan of, Gringo, came in number 11 at 2.7. And that also was in uh, 2,400 theaters. And then a movie that Matt and I really liked was in limited release, Thoroughbreds. It's playing here in Atlanta currently. Which we reviewed uh, last week. Yep. Uh, did did $1.2 million, but that was only in 550 screens. So the big question is now, can Black Panther do it again? Can it be number one <laughs> I mean, for another week in a row, which would be just mind-blowing? Not to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to I'm gonna say no again. <laughs> and not I, to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say, say yes. yes. Yep, yep. You know, we gotta got to keep things interesting. Got to got to keep the the contention up. Um, I think Tomb Raider will do it. You know, even though as we'll get into in our review soon enough, um, I think Tomb Raider will have a decent. I think Tomb Raider will be like a wrinkle in time where it'll have a decent opening weekend, and I think it'll be enough to beat Black Panther. And then, I disagree. I think I think Black Panther will. I think Black Panther will. Um, will win and win easily over Tomb Raider. you got to remember that, yes, this is a reboot, but is that without a big name um, to, to star in any names, frankly? Um, so uh, I see it, I don't think, I think it'll be second, um, but I only see it doing like $21 million. And then uh, Wrinkle of Time, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to do still okay, but it's going to have a pretty big drop off. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Wrinkle in Time will be doing that well. Yeah. But there's a there's a movie that we're going to review today, Love Simon, that is going to be a sleeper hit, and I think it's going to have legs because um, we should. You want to go ahead and talk just about the reaction of our screening? Yeah, we can we can do that since I brought it up. Yeah. So we we uh, we saw the both of us, Matt and I, saw the film last week um, at Atlantic Station. Love Simon. Uh, uh, became... love, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't say that. Love, Simon, um, at Atlantic Station. They actually had two screens, um, and they um, basically shipped in an incredible amount of teenage girls to see this movie. There were schools represented all over the place. Um, the author of the book, which was a big hit, um, is from the Atlanta area, and um, she still lives in Atlanta. And um, she based it off of her high school. And I don't remember which high school it was. It was Riverwood. Okay, Riverwood. Um, and so there were all these, I mean, it was literally packed. Normally, when we, normally we, if Matt and I get to the movie theater about 30 minutes ahead of time, uh, we can sit together. Uh, we do have a reserve section, but even that reserve section was packed. Um, and the fifth theater, both theaters were full. Um, if we had, if we weren't film critics, we would have not gotten into that that screening. And then um, they did a kind of pep rally because the cast um, showed up and gave a talk before the film, and everybody went nuts. Um, I mean, it was just a ton of screaming, uh, people holding up signs, um, and then during the movie, uh, the crowd reacted. A number of times by literally standing up and cheering um, and whooping and screaming um, and then after the film uh, a couple of other cast members came out and gave a little Q&A about the film and and I mean, the author was a, yeah and the author yes and the author it was an it was a nuts evening um, yeah 
Yeah, the only the only thing I could could uh, could uh, compare it to is is that that uh, that last Twilight screening that we saw, which is also made up of a ton of teenagers. I wasn't and, there. Okay, well the 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 big battle sequence that is not in the book. Uh, spoiler alert: um, If you haven't seen Twilight uh, the series by now, uh, too bad. You deserve that. <laughs> yeah, you deserve that spoiler. Um, but because they didn't know it was coming. And all these people, all these, uh, you know, there were, there were people dying right and left on screen, and everybody was just in shock. And um, so there was a lot of screaming in that one, uh, react to reactions. But this one was just off the wall nuts. Yeah. No, it was it was pretty crazy. Yep. So, so wanna, I guess we, we should, we were going to do Tomb Raider first, but I say we should just keep going with um, Love, Simon, since we're already talking about that. And it's okay. coming out this week, so... Mike, you want to you want intro us to what Love sure. Simon is? So uh, Simon, uh, he's played by Nick Robinson, um, is a gay high school student, uh, but he hasn't come out to anybody, even his best friends nor his parents. He basically um, wants to make it through senior year before he comes out because he just wants everything to stay normal. But there's something in his life that isn't normal, and that is he's having a online basically love affair with an anonymous classmate uh, who goes to his high school who he only knows online so he doesn't know who the person is so throughout the film he's trying to figure out who this person is uh, so that he can basically uh, you know confront him Um, and uh, because he's in the closet um, he basically uh, has to manipulate his friends from finding out that he's gay, and uh, that's that's about all the plot I want to give away. I so let's go on and review it. Yeah. So how bored? How bored were you? I wasn't bored at all. I thought it, I, this is just a wonderful movie, um, right from the start. It's very creative. It does some really cool things. Um, there's some there's some fantasy sequences, and it's not fantasy as in like a, a lover sequence. It's just fantasies of how his life would change if he can't come out. Uh, that are just hilarious. There's a musical number even that's just a blast to watch. Yeah, so that, was, that was really obscure and just random, but in a good way. Yeah, and and uh, I, you know, it's it's just a it's a fun film. Um, it's got a great message, uh, and I so I just I just fell in love with this film. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, one of the things I liked about it is that it is it's very grounded. You know, it's it doesn't. It doesn't get too complicated. It's very, you know, its message is very clear, and it doesn't overcomplicate things by trying to be grandiose or, you know, be too blockbuster. I would say. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It never goes. It's never over the top. Yeah. Um. And 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 the and the fact is is that what I love about it is that what he's going through. A lot of teenagers go through this, and it realistically depicts this yeah and yes there are some comedic angles that they exploit a little bit but the people in this film feel real yeah and their their problems and their love lives feel real and that's that's what i love about it and it also treats this subject with uh, a great deal of care um i mean this you can tell that with the writer and director um and, and the author that the book was was uh about was written by um care about this character and care about um his friends um because they because they do 
a great job of showing his emotions and showing how tough it is to be in high school and not knowing whether he should come out or not. Yeah. And it even goes further beyond that, I would say. Like, it does very much capture that high school life. Like, even for people who aren't gay or in the closet or anything like that, it just, you know, there's some connect character you'll be able to connect with on any kind of level. Yeah, so. and it's also, it's got some great characters. That I, um, uh, Tony Hale, wasn't it Tony Hale, right? That's with the principal? Yeah, he was the principal. <laughs> he, he's hilarious in it. He's just... He's this over-the-top um, principal who basically wants to be everybody's buddy, um, especially Simon. Uh, he's always talking about that he's going on a date, you know, that he uh, somebody he found on Tinder, and he's talking to this high school kid. Yeah, and is acting acting like he's part of the gang, um, and it's just hilarious because it, it's throughout the whole film he's doing this. Um, by the way, the 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 book is called Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. Uh, it's by Becky Albert Altali. Yeah, yeah. Albert Tally. That's 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 what it was filmed under. I because I remember all the casting stuff going out for that. And I was like, this sounds like the weirdest movie. And it's like, of course, I had no idea what the movie was back when it was filming. Because it was spoiler alert, it was filmed in Atlanta, which we will get to finally in in a couple of <laughs> couple of minutes. But um. So, yeah, like, seeing all the casting calls and stuff like that, of course, a lot of it was for, like, you know, high school age stuff. So, a lot of it was stuff I couldn't apply for anyway. But, um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting because, like, I had a completely different picture of what this movie was. And that was just going, like, based on the title and everything. So, um, how much eye-rolling was there for you? I didn't have any because I just thought, I thought it, it did such a great job of, of treating this subject. Um, and... Um, I loved everything about this film. I loved all the characters, um, you know, and every, I mean, it, there's, it's got a great cast. Um, uh, Jennifer Garner and uh, Josh Tohamel, uh, uh play as parents. Um, I thought they were both really good in it. Um, um, Catherine Langford plays his, um, his best friend, Simon's best friend. I just, it's just a wonderful cast, and I just, I had, I loved it. I just loved it. I can't say that enough. Yeah, I... I had some eye rolling. Um, Logan Miller mostly. He plays a quote unquote friend of the group. Um, his his stuff like there was some eye rolling for that, and that was where um, his storyline was basically where I had most of my problems with, just because of the way it plays out. And yeah, it just I, it I can felt see that weird, especially how they handled it and stuff like that. There were some scenes that just felt really off with me for that so um yeah there was a little eye roll in there for me at least um best and worst performance um i well nick robinson is really good in this but i actually liked uh um catherine langford um who plays his like i said his best friend i thought she was really good in it and they have great chemistry you i mean you really believe that they've been best friends for years um, and that's that's who I, I really liked. I would, I would agree on Logan Miller. I, it's more the character than his acting. But um, he's he's probably the least realistic of all the characters. Um, and what and I don't want to give away too much. They go they really go for a comedic uh, effect with him. Um, and he's kind of the flight and the ointment uh, that kind of stirs the storyline along. But I, I he would be my weak link for the 
for the characters. For me, I'm going to go with uh, Nick Robinson as the best. You know, he is definitely the center of the film, and he's the one who carries it. And his performance is just great. You know, I know both of us, um, you know, we've been following him for a long time. I mean, you know him, um, what is it, uh, The Kings of Summer. Both of us, we love that movie. And so, you know, to see him go from that to this has just been it's just been great. Um, as far as worst, I don't know if I would classify anything as a worst. Because, I mean, most of my complaints come with Logan Miller's character and not right. his performance as it because he he really sells it like he does a good job of being the hateable character right so i don't nothing really nothing really stood out to me as bad in this film performance wise um atlanta recognition there's quite a few atlanta spots in this oh yeah so um they never come out and say it's atlanta but um in logan's um in Logan's bedroom, he's got uh, some some stuff that kind of gives it away. Um, he has the the artwork um, that that you see around town, the, the the pray for Atlanta with the two hands artwork. He has that in his uh, in his house. Um, I mean, it, we saw Dancy Goat's Coffee Bar in Decatur yep. is in it, a big part. Um, Oglethorpe University plays a big part. Um, Grady High School Stadium. Uh, makes appearances. Um, that's the that's the stadium that's um, across the street from uh, 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 Midtown Art Theater. Um, so there's a there's a lot, and then there's some shots of the skyline, especially near the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so and I mean they never say it's Atlanta, but they never they never say it's not. Yeah. Know? I mean it's it's just a random you know fancy city suburb kind of stuff. Like they don't say right. what city is in. But I mean you know the author of the book. Um, Becky uh, Albertalli, she's from Atlanta, so of course, you know, the film is going to be filled with, you know, all these little Atlanta references that, you know, Atlanta people will get and see. So, it's it's nice. It was good to see. Especially, I love the Dancing Goats in Decatur, because, like, I've, I go there all the time. I love Decatur and stuff, and so to see Decatur be there, that was that was cool. Yeah, and then, you know, and it and it does say Dancing Goats, by yeah. the way. Also, that's so they didn't have they didn't go in and change names or anything. So that's why I I know it's it's set in Atlanta. It's just they just never say anything about Atlanta in the film. Yeah. So overall, on a scale of one to five, what would you rate it? I'm gonna give it a five. I fell in love with this movie. I just thought it was a wonderful movie, and I highly recommend it. Um, and. Uh, it's it's such a fun movie to watch, and uh, I so I'm giving it a five. Yeah, I'm giving it a four point five. Um, as I said earlier, I had a few qualms with Logan Miller's character and his storyline and how that all plays out, but um, other than that, it's a really good film. You know, it's it's that perfect you know teenage coming of age film that is also great for adults and great for everybody. So you know, yeah, I highly recommend going out and seeing it this weekend yeah you definitely don't have to be a teenager to uh to enjoy this film it, it plays overall uh, age groups um i think teenagers are going to love this film and i think they're going to go multiple times um we saw and we saw how excited all the teenage girls at our screening were so yeah so moving right along uh the other big film that is coming out this weekend is tomb raider um 
So that's based off, it's another video game film adaptation, so we all know how those go. Um, <laughs> Tomb Raider, basically, this is a reboot. So back in, uh, back in what, the 90s, I think it was, um, they did a Tomb Raider with um, Angelina Jolie in the title role. Um, I think there were only two of those movies. But, was there um, two or three? I don't even remember if there was a third. But um, anyway, this basically is a reboot of, of the franchise, and it is pretty much an or, origin story for uh, Laura Croft. Basically, um, you know, her father, Richard Croft, has disappeared. He's in... He goes out on an expedition, and he, you know, he says, oh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'll be back before you know it, kind of thing, and he disappears. And basically, seven years go by, and Laura is now, she's a grown-up, and she's still struggling with the fact that her father hasn't come back. And so she is unwilling to sign basically his death certificate because she believes that he's still out there somewhere. And so, you know, basically a series of events leads to her finding a series of clues of where her father went on his last expedition. And it's basically this crazy, dangerous island that um, he's searching for this, the tomb of Himiko, which is this um, Japanese death god, apparently. And so she sets out on her own adventure to basically find this island and find, hopefully, the answers to what happened to her father. And that's that's the film. And it is quite interesting, I would say. <laughs> um, Mike? Yep. How how bored were you? <laughs> I was pretty bored. Um, the problem with this film is that it's not fun. There's no, almost no humor in it. It's just not a fun film to watch. It feels like I'm watching somebody play a video game. And I, there's no, absolutely almost no humor in this film. It's just not fun. Um, our there's, friend of ours, There's not Matt supposed Go- to be humor. <laughs> but it's I wasn't not expecting fun to, humor. But it's not like, fun to watch. As, as Matt Goldberg, uh, a fellow film critic um, that we know, um, he said after the film, it was like watching Indiana Jones film without any of the fun. Yeah. And I ju- it's just, they went really hardcore straight with it. Um, and I just, I did not enjoy this film. And I was bored a lot. There's also a lot of just talking and it takes forever to get started yeah and i think that's the problem with it so basically they took the reboot of the video game because the video game rebooted back in 2013 um after a a quite a while off basically they did an origin story video game and so like they took that story and kind of you know this is what the the film adaptation is it's of that video game and it just, it doesn't live up to it because, you know, the action just isn't there. And it's it's trying to be an origin story, but basically Laura is already, she's already given everything she needs. Like, it's weird. That's, that's what hit me the weirdest was that, so like, it tries to set everything out like, oh, she's not this heroic, you know, 
crazy adventurous who's raiding tombs and killing bad guys. She's just like an ordinary girl because this is all supposed to be before all that. It's supposed to be her introduction to all that. But then pretty much as soon as she gets on the island, she's everything. So she's like, you know, she's shooting people with bows and arrows. She's doing these crazy jumps that she couldn't do like five minutes beforehand. And it's just like they skip this huge chunk of her basically getting into that. So that was my biggest problem. Yeah, because they, I mean, they show her like at this beginning of the film, they show her in a boxing match where she gets the crap beat out of her by a fellow female fighter. And and the only thing we get out of that boxing match, well, it's, not, it's a mixed martial arts match, um, not a boxing match, I should say, but a mixed martial arts match. And the only thing we get out of that is the fact that she's not a very good fighter. She is tough and determined because it takes her a long time before she gives up. But it's... it's if she's, I mean, I would have rather her been a better fighter at the beginning of the film. So it would explain why she can beat men twice her size or three times her size. Um, so I had a, I had a hard time with that also, and the fact that we don't, as you say, we don't. She just goes from being okay, yeah, she's in shape because she also is a bike messenger, and she's really quick as a bike messenger. But that's about it. And then all of a sudden, when she gets on an island, she's doing these superhuman things, and she's also she's also apparently um, got some super girl genes in her because nothing affects her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, that that is very video gameish. <laughs> yeah, it it, it reminds. I was reminded of Sylvester Stallone, the old movies from the eighties, when he would just take a a beating, and then there'd be like maybe maybe a little blood flowing down his mouth. Um, you know, or the or the Rock, um, you know, like like the Fast and the Furious, the recent ones where they kind of made them into superheroes, where they're jumping from one car that's flying through the air to another one. Uh, she's doing all this stuff that you're like, okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's very video gaming. Yeah, I mean, um, like at one point she gets punctured by like a spear in her side and her abdomen, and she has to she gets stitches. She gets stitched up, but like. Two hours later, in um, in film time, in the film world, she's like running full speed, sprinting, and like doing these crazy stunts that like you're like you just got stabbed through the abdomen, got stitches, and now you know like you're running like nothing's happening. Like she does feel invincible. So I guess I, we should talk about eye rolling because <laughs> there's quite a lot of eye rolling. There's a um, ton of eye rolling. <laughs> Almost the whole film, you're eye rolling, <laughs> but especially when she gets to the island, yeah, there's, there's eye rolling all over the place. My main problem, and what was I me eye rolling the most, is this whole basically subplot of there's this base this shadowy organization called Trinity, who like if you've seen the trailers, they've kind of mentioned it in there, and. They're basically I'm 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 still not quite sure what this group is because the film does a terrible job of explaining it. Basically they're this organization that they, they want to get to the Himiko's tomb because apparently they want to use her power to control the world or whatever. I don't know. That's this this all this part differs from the game. There is no Trinity in the game, so they made this all up for the film. This is all exclusive to the film. 
and it's just like they do a terrible job of explaining them or giving them reason like Walton Goggins he's the he's the main bad guy he's the main villain and even then he's just he's just basically a pawn for Trinity like he's on the island because Trinity sent them there and for some reason he can't leave until he finds this finds the tomb and so like he's been on this island for seven years and they won't let him leave and like that's that's his entire motivation it's it's terrible. I was rolling my eyes the entire time. And then there's this big reveal in like what? Like the last 5 minutes of the film that is just absolutely terrible and like it's definitely a setup for a franchise, you know, for future films, but like doing it so late in the film, it was just it it was pointless. And I, I um, she's she's a bike messenger, so she's not making very much money. In fact, am I? I don't remember it, but anyway, she's she's not making much money. And in order to go all the way to Japan, she pawns a jade piece, and you're just like, really? You're gonna make it all the way to Japan on just one little tiny jade piece? It's just. Well, it was this a very, whole thing. They tried to explain how it's rich history of how it was yeah. passed down from the kings and stuff. I think what I think she got eight thousand euros for it or something. Yeah, but um, but still, yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's just like you're just rolling your eyes a lot because like, and I was rolling my eyes a lot because I've played the game, I love the game, and because I the game is so good, and. This just didn't have any of the spirit of the game in it. Because the game is more focused on the whole survival aspect of it, you know. She goes to this island not to look for her father. The whole father subplot thing is also kind of whack as well, I would say. But, um, because that's not part of the game either. Like, she goes to the island to, basically, on this expedition. She's just on a regular expedition, and she's trying to find out Himiko's tomb and stuff. And, um, so she goes to the island on her own accord with her own, like, crew. And, like, oh, they're, they, they want to be archaeologists. They want to discover, you know, tombs and stuff like that. And so, like, she goes to the island. She gets shipwrecked. And that's kind of where it all starts. And, um, basically everything is, everybody's just, everybody just wants to get off the island. So she wants to get off the island, um, Matthias who is um, Goggins' character, he's been shipwrecked on the island, and he just wants to get off the island as well. Like, he's trying to get off. Basically, in the game, Himiko is this crazy goddess, and, like, it's revealed that she is the one who is keeping everybody on the island. Like, she's causing all these crazy storms surrounding the island. And so they're trying to figure out how to stop this this Japanese goddess from how to stop these storms and basically over the years Matthias has kind of grew this cult of people who basically worship her and try to and hopefully to appease her and um, so yeah it's it's a very different game and I just I kind of I'm kind of sounding like I was with um, Annihilation I think where it's like I just make an adaptation of the book. Just make an adaptation of the game. It's like, 
You know, this is another line of video game films that is is not that good, and it's like I'm still I still can't believe Hollywood hasn't figured out how to make a good video game movie. Like, I'm not quite sure what it is. Well, it's I, I don't think they know how to do it. Um, I mean, there 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 are plot holes in this this film that are incredibly big, and they put some stuff in there that, like, didn't you? There, she has a she's Laura's really good at at figuring out puzzles, much like her father. And there's she finds this puzzle um, that her father has left behind. And um, when the the spoiler alert, but he's already talked about a little bit about it. Um, when she gets shipwrecked, she leaves the puzzle on the ship, and they make it a point to point out that the puzzle is still on the ship. There's a close-up of it, and that she didn't grab it with all her other stuff. And didn't you think that was going to be important, that she didn't have it? Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of thought she was going to grab it at the end, because they did kind of do, like, a little close-up as the ship was sinking um, of the puzzle. But she didn't. So, like, yeah, but she didn't. And, like, I, I mean, I assumed, like, I mean, it kind of does play a role in that she... The puzzle was almost like a kind of, I don't know, a segue to actually getting into the tomb because, like, the mechanism that kept the tomb locked was basically the same as the puzzle for some reason. I don't know why, like, but so, like, her doing that puzzle gave her the skills necessary to unlock the tomb. I guess that's that's how I interpreted it. I have no idea if that's, I'm assuming that's what they meant, but, I mean, who knows with this movie? It's... It's yeah, it's it's messy. It is a messy film. Best and worst performance. Oh. <laughs> um I don't know. I I enjoyed Daniel Wu who plays the uh the the guy that's uh, uh he's a captain of a ship and he's uh gets talked into by Laura into taking her to the island. So I thought he was I mean, there's not a really good performance this whole film. I'm yeah. and I'm very disappointed because I'm a huge fan of Alicia Vikander. Um, one of I, I thought she should have won an Oscar for Ex Machina a couple of years ago. Um, she is so good in that film, and I was really excited for this film because of the fact that she was headlining, and I was hoping that they would give her something more than just have her run and shoot arrows <laughs> and you know give her more substance than this character has. Um, I don't know. I, I guess Daniel Wu and I, I'm going to give, I'm going to give the worst performance to Derek Jacoby because he's in only like two scenes. That must've been the easiest paycheck he's ever gotten. I don't even know who that, who was Derek. He's Jacoby. the lawyer. He's oh, the okay. lawyer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, I actually see, I think Alicia Vikander, I think she can actually pull off Laura Croft. Because like the action scenes and the um some of the stunt work was actually pretty decent, like in, you know, standalone context. Like it's I think she can pull it off given if she's given like good material to work with. Because like she does you can tell that she is like giving it all like when she's running and stuff and like when she's doing these crazy stunts like you could tell that's her and i think she can pull it off it's just 
the movie itself is not bad is not good um as far as worst would go i'd give it to dominic west just because uh, i was just i hated the whole father storyline and just it was it's so transparent from the beginning where they're going with and that's the thing the entire film like it seems to follow the same hollywood beats of an action film so like nothing takes you by surprise nothing catches you off guard it's just going through the same beats one after another and so that's that's why i was so bored with this film and it's it i was also the earlier reason i was excited because i really like walton goggins and i i thought he'd be a really cool bad guy and if this it's just one of the worst bad guys in 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 a film recently um it's just not a good character and he's so good in some other stuff. He's better than he was in um, the Maze Runner movie. <laughs> True. <laughs> that was terrible because that. Oh, I wanted so much more out of him in that. Yeah. And this, I mean, I think he did fine in this. Um, yeah, I just I don't like the character at all. Yeah. I don't like the. No. the, the, the I think it's a pretty pretty bad, uh, constructed bad guy. Yeah. No, he, it's terrible. Because he, he, was, he was so good in the, in the TV series Justified. Yeah. So, on a scale of uh, 1 to 5, what would you give it? Because uh, of the fact that I did like the action sequences, um, I'm going to give it a, a 2, but leaning toward a 1.5. <laughs> it's a very small 2. So, a 1.75? Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Because because yeah. I because I because I, I I did like the action sequences and I thought that she um, Alicia pulled them pulled them off, but just the storyline was so bad and the characters were so bad and the plot holes were so bad. Yeah, no, I'm giving it a two. Um, and it and it also is two hours long, and an action adventure film should not be two hours long. Yeah, I'm giving it a two as well. Um, it was just it was it was. It was disappointing more than bad for me. It is bad, but like I I was more disappointed with it because like they could have done a much better job with it had they tweaked a few things, I thought. And it's just like like I said, I I think Alicia Vikander can be a good Laura Croft. I think she has has what it takes to do that to pull off the role. It's just this this first film is just it's so messy it's so all over the place and it's just it's just disappointing we forgot to mention atlanta recognition which there is none <laughs> none so, no nope. in case you in case you were wondering but um but yeah hopefully one day we will get a good video game movie um god i don't know what it is like and it's weird because hollywood keeps making them like there are i think there are probably at least a dozen video game movies in development that hollywood is making so like one of these days one of these video game movies will be good like i i first thought it was going to be assassin's creed and that that was disappointing i thought it was then i thought this could maybe pull it off but that is not the case so one of these days i think it's sad that um the best video game movies are like are not video game movies they are like about video games so like um uh what is it the 
Scott Pilgrim versus the world kind of stuff. Like those right. movies. Like they, they are video game themed movies, but um, not based off any one particular game. Anyway, moving on. That's about it for this week's podcast. Um, next week we'll have reviews of Pacific Rim Uprising and Isle of Dogs. And more importantly, Emma will be back. Hopefully. I don't know. She, she may stay in Europe for forever, so she may never come back. We don't know. I, yeah, I, it seems I thought she's she was, having a fun time. Yeah, I thought she was going to stay in London uh, because of the hotel room they got was just immense. Uh, apparently, they got somebody canceled, and they, so they got this upgrade. And uh, I was I was afraid that she was going to just live there because they both love London, and I thought they were just going to stay there forever. And we, I we would get. You and I would uh, get custody of Fozzie and share share Fozzie back and forth because I, no, they would come back and visit and take Fozzie back. I don't think they would just leave Fozzie here. <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully next week we will have Emma back and everything will be running more smoothly back to normal. This week's podcast actually went well, like no no hiccups, I would say, which is which is nice. So, um, well, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah, we haven't. We, it hasn't been posted yet. So, we will see. Anyway, that's it for this week, and we will see you ne- next week. Um, once again, if you if you like the podcast, please like us, rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud, wherever you listen to us. Give us the five star rating. We would greatly appreciate it. Or, or leave us comments, you know, find us on Twitter or Facebook, on FanBolt. Leave us comments, let us know what you want to see next. Um, thank you for listening to the Atlas Podcast. Once again, I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney with LastOneToLeadTheTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. And we will see you next week. Bye. Hopefully with Emma.